Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic, what makes the best leaders so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, I know you're going to enjoy today's guest. This is Michael Altshuler, who's a good friend of mine who I've gotten a chance to work with and seen him in action. He spoke at my prior organization, did a fantastic job. Great combination between storyteller, high entertainment value, and uh, really, really good content. So I loved this interview. We got into some really good stuff, some deep stuff. Some fun stuff, really good combination of all the above. So um, get ready for this. He is a keynote speaker all across the world and uh, runs a business now coaching uh, sales professionals, teams, leaders uh, all over the place and does a great job with it. So here you go. All right. Welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader related, related to leading yourself and leading others. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, somebody who I've had a great opportunity to get to know over the last uh, maybe a year or so, or a couple of years. I've had a chance to work with him. I've had a chance to see him in action and one of my favorite people out there, and he's been also a great mentor to me. we got Michael Altshuler around with us. Michael, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being Thank here. You. Great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I, I want to get into a whole lot of stuff. I think you know maybe for the audience that is uh, watching this and not listening, they're seeing this on YouTube and they're looking at you and they're like, where do I know this guy from? I know I've seen him. They may be going back, maybe back a long ways to a show that they saw you on TV. What was that? Tell yeah, me I thought it. I thought we were going to keep this positive, John. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, you know, and you kind of teed that up that I was on the TV show American Gladiators and I'm just glad I lived to tell the story. And most people, interesting you bring that up, John, most people say, well, Mike, how did you do on the show? And I ask, when they ask me that question, I say, well, did you see me on the show? And they said, no. I said, well, that's easy. In that case, I won the national championship. <laughs> the truth of the matter is I got my butt kicked in front of uh, 6 million viewers. But, you know, it's going after your dreams and it's it's really putting the time in to get better at whatever you want to get better at. And that it was a great experience all the way around. Great lessons. Well, that, so, was, that was an incredible show. I mean, I was addicted to that show. I used to watch it all the time. And uh, I just used to think, my God, I mean, that the, the, those competitors, the gladiators, I mean, the competitors were beasts, but the guys and women that you were up against were, I mean, maniacs, right? Ma massive. I mean, you know, just super like out of a magazine muscular. And, and it's yeah. real. They go to kill you. I mean, they go to really just yeah. hit you as hard as they can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, like I said, I'm glad I lived to tell the story, but it's really about going after your dream and you're facing fear and just yeah. going for it. So yeah. I'm glad learned valuable lessons and, uh, it's all part of whether you look at that or anything else, you have a goal, you have a dream, you go for it. You start with the end in mind. What do I want to achieve? Yeah. What are the obstacles? What are the opportunities kind of SWAT and, and you just go for it Be before we get into stuff. I want, so how did you get onto the show? What did you have to do? Well, 10,000 men tried out for the show, only 22 made it. So I'm an enterprise sales guy. That's when I had my copier company back in New Jersey. 
you know, Donald Trump, by the way, was my largest client back then. And the the goal uh, in enterprise sales is it's a strategy. You analyze and you strategize and you execute and you outthink and you out strategize your competition. And really wanting to be on the show, once I decided I wanted to be on, I realized I had to do that. So I just figured out what what the TV shows want. And what they want is one thing, and that's ratings, because that increases the value that they can, what they can charge for commercials. So I said, what, and I studied the show and I said, who do they have? They always have the disruptive person, the nerd. They have all these different personalities to make it interesting and draw viewership. And what I did, I donated, I was one of the older contestants. I was 36, donated all my time and money if I won any money. And if I won the $10,000 grand prize at the time, I donated it to raise awareness of the homeless to a homeless shelter. I had a picture taken with me and Cher when she was at her prime with my arm around her. And I called the executive producer of the show, Eton Keller in Hollywood at Samuel Goldwyn Productions and told him I got him on the phone. No one ever calls him. And uh, I got him on the phone and told him my story. And I said, here you have an executive shedding a suit and tie to fight for the homeless to raise awareness. Is that something you'd be interested in and your viewers would be interested in? And he said, yeah, that's a great story. It's a great hook. And so I did a lot of things. And when I came up with my story, I said, who do I tell it to? And then as I'm watching the show, they Chiron, all the, the executive producer, the director, I said, that's what I have to call. So I called information, Samuel Golden Productions, and I got his number and, you know, called him. And he didn't have, I thought I had a prepared speech in case the secretary answered. No secretary, no gatekeeper. And the reason is of 20,000 people who, of 10,000 people who tried out, how many do you think called the executive producer of the show? Nobody. You probably, no. were you the only one? Yeah, he was happy to get the call. Wow. No one calls him. Wow. So he was great. He was grateful. We laughed a little bit. I had it planned out what I was going to say, what my hook was, my story. And, uh, and they had a, a great, exciting story to tell the viewers as to here we have an executive older shedding his suit and tie to fight for the homeless. And then the tryouts, we're at the Coliseum in New York and they expected 2000 people because it's a Hollywood based production show. I flew out to Hollywood and, and they expected a thousand, maybe a little more 5,000 people showed up. It said free tryouts to be on the TV show, American gladiators at the Coliseum in New York, every crazy person in the world tried out. And I made sure I was the first one there and the last one to leave. So they would know who I was. Wow. And, and I saw Eton Keller there and we talked and, and it just, kept putting the odds in my favor and he became an advocate, uh, a supporter when they had a committee that decided he was pushing for me because he wanted me to be on the show. Wow. That's pretty incredible, man. And yeah. there's a lot of life lessons and a lot of sales lessons in that for sure. Ton tons. Yeah. yeah. Like just if you want to win any enterprise sale, you have to look at all the different pieces of it and how to influence the people that need to be influenced, how to put the odds in your favor. Yeah. And that's what I did. I went from possibility to inevitability doing things that others weren't willing to do yeah. that would make an impact, knowing what they wanted and delivering it to them. Well, and and I, I think that's such a spot on point, you know, and I talk to people about that all the time. You got to be willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. In some cases, you know, that's, that's a great example. People just assume that everybody else is doing that. And in reality, you know, nobody called the executive producer. So it was, it was not something that even people were necessarily fearful of. I'm sure some of them were, but they just assumed everybody was and, and they really weren't, you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then you figured out, okay, what do they actually need and want uh, versus just, okay, well, let me just be my best. 
you were a little more targeted and creative with them. Yeah, exactly. There was a plan. And, you know, when you peel back the onion, you say, you know, people don't buy features. They don't buy advantages. They buy benefits. There's only one thing a TV show wants, and that's ratings. That's yeah, it. Because right. that's the way they make their money from selling airtime commercials. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the more people that watch, the higher, the more money they make. So they want something. They, and then I studied the show. I watched what type of contestants they had. And I made sure that I was someone that was unique and different and would be would appeal to their audience mm-hmm. and would get their ratings up. That would be a, a fascinating story. Yeah. So the picture of me and Cher, I'm sh- executive, shed in a suit and tie. I'm not a young guy. And I'm donating all the money to a homeless shelter to raise awareness. So there was three different elements of this that were just powerful and compelling mm-hmm. and worth telling their, you know, if this guy's strong enough, fast enough to make it on the show, then you have to try out. I had a, you know, they don't take the fastest and strongest because otherwise I would have never made it on the show. Nor do they take the best looking, had you not noticed, John. But they <laughs> they they do uh they do take someone who's going to drive the ratings, and that's I think what I did successfully. That's pretty cool. So you get done with this show. I guess you you're is it like one day and you're done, or is it like no, uh, I was out there three weeks. Oh, they wow. shoot two two full seasons when I was out there. Oh wow. So you were on multiple uh Yeah, multiple I, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I was on two shows and I tell people I lost to the grand champion of two seasons. Now that sounds impressive, but they seed the worst against the best. So I was going, <laughs> so, so I have to, to be in total disclosure and full transparency. His name was Craig Brenham. We're still friends. We became very good friends, even when he beat my, he beat, beat the crap out of me on the show. Uh, he's a rodeo cowboy. He was, he's a stunt man in Hollywood. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, he he was he was well, great. If you're gonna lose to uh, to somebody, I guess that's the person you want to lose to. You exactly, know, radio cowboy and uh, stuntman. That's 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 yeah. pretty high credentials. Yeah, it's uh, good to lose. Cool. So so you go through this unbelievable experience. You know, even though you didn't win, that's that's a huge victory. What a cool experience. So what do you do? What do you do then? What 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 did you do after that? Well, it's it's interesting. I don't. I said I was going to donate, and there was a lot of hype, TV hype, back when I got back to my home office and just outside Atlantic City. So there was TV stations that were interviewing me, and I told them I would donate the money to the homeless shelter at, if I won the ten thousand. I only won seven hundred dollars, so I'm embarrassed to give the homeless shelter seven hundred. So I gave him a big check that had a thousand. I added three hundred of my own money, and I put zero, 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 dot, zero, zero, so it would look larger than it than it really was just for the TV. And uh, but it, most importantly, it raised. And they asked me, Larry Zonka and Mike Adamley were the host and co-host. They asked me on the show. We we positioned it. They would say, Mike, we understand you're doing something very special if you win the championship. And I said, Yes, I'm donating the money to the homeless shelter to raise awareness of the homeless. And uh, they said, Why would a businessman like you come on a show like this? And I said, too much toner dust in the brain after all these years because I was in the copier business. That was for all my customers. But I came back and to uh, somewhat of a, a a losing hero's welcome, if there's such a thing. And you know, just it was it was to this day, it still serves as good publicity. That it's for those that are younger that are listening to this or watching this, it's like American Ninja Warrior with gladiators. You know, you have these these obstacle courses, and you have. 300-pound muscle-clad gladiators trying to prevent you from finishing these obstacle courses. And uh, and they hit you, and they try to chase you down. So just got back to business. I had a copier business and got back to selling copiers and building a team and mm-hmm. eventually selling my company. Wow. So um, 
And, and yeah, for those that haven't seen that show, it is it is a tough. You got people really trying to uh, destroy you and you know knock you off these obstacle courses. Um, the obstacle courses are tough enough as it is. So yes, that's pretty crazy. True. So um, okay, so you go and you tell us about the so you sold your company. What what made that happen and how did you do it and then what did that open up for you? Sure, good question. I started my company out of a six hundred square foot apartment, uh, copiers. And then I got fired from my first copier job because they thought I was going to leaving to go to another company and stealing my leads, the leads that I got. But I was actually just getting competitive information because I was from the publications I was reading. I was underpaid and I was preparing myself for a meeting with the president. But they misconstrued the information on my desk. And they set me up and fired me. But that was actually a blessing because when they fired me at 21 as the number one salesman they ever had. That's when I started my own copier company out of my apartment as a cop machine broker. I became the youngest sharp electronics copier dealer in the country that they've ever had at 23 years old. And then uh, grew my company to a multi-million dollar company in my uh, late 20s, early 30s. Sold it to the multi-billion dollar giant Alco Standard, which became Icon Office Solutions. And just built a company. And I really learned from the inside out. uh, I wasn't the best leader when I was younger. And I learned a lot. You know, life is about the lessons that you learn. And it's the old thing, John, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Not only is that important with your clients, but it's important with your associates in an office that you really have to care. And how do you communicate that you care? I I, I didn't have a lot of employees. I had 50 employees. But how do you what do you say and what do you do that communicates that you care about them personally and professionally? And that's if you really want them to excel And you want what every employer wants, what every leader wants, is for every associate to treat the company as if it were their own, to Mm. take that type of concern and that type of care uh, over the company. And that's that's what I learned. It was learned by fire. I mean, I was thrown into the fire and I made a lot of mistakes, but learned a lot. Yeah, I'll bet. Well, you know, you... uh... You do, and you learn from your mistakes probably even more than you do your 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 successes. Yes. What do you see? I mean, you work with a lot of different leaders. You work with a lot of different businesses. What do you see right now? And for the, some people, maybe watching or listening to this after the pandemic, we're in the middle of of the pandemic. What do you see leaders that are really top notch leaders doing now that's different than others? Yeah, great question. Well, we have to realize that there is without a doubt a heightened sense of uncertainty, a heightened sense of fear, a heightened sense of insecurity. Am I going to have my job? You know, and, and this is swirling through people's heads and it's very disconcerting and we can't hide. It's the elephant in the room. Everyone's dealing with it. Uh, Besides the health element that, you know, there's a pandemic out there. There's an element of economically, financially, am I going to be able to exist? So I I believe, John, the great leaders right now understand this, not only with their clients and their prospects, with this heightened sense of of concern and uncertainty uh, as to where things are and where things are going, but I think it's critical that they're also paying attention to their employees, giving them what's the answer to uncertainty is reassurance. Mm -hmm. It's empathy, understanding how they feel right now, acknowledging that, that those feelings are, are legitimate and real, and it's understandable. They hear about 30 million people are unemployed now, so they understand this is a real thing. Am I going to get furloughed? Am I going to get fired? Uh, what's going to happen? Is the company cutting back? Do they have to cut back? So addressing 
those things with great empathy, showing that you genuinely care with great sincere concern, and then saying, we're going to do everything we can within our power and offering a real transparent plan for what you're doing moving forward and how we're trying to make sure that everyone is safe in their positions and just keep working hard and we're going to pivot and we're going to uh, prepare for coming out of this more successfully uh, than we went into it. Yeah. I think a lot of leaders make the mistake of, you know, they, they don't know the answers. They don't know necessarily. There's a, there's a lot of unknowns, obviously. They don't know what to say that, or they don't know that the correct answers or, or how to paint the right picture. So they don't say anything. They don't communicate. Um, in which case, that's a disaster, right? I mean, that's, you know, communication is number one. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, the most beautiful thing a leader can do is say, you know, I don't have the answer. You know, every, you hear everyone talking about the new normal. Everyone talks about that, John, but no one can define what that is because no one knows. We know it's going to be new. We know it's going to be different. So I think showing your, your vulnerabilities as a leader that, listen, I, I wish I had all the answers right now. I, I don't. I never did. And, but especially now, no one knows. There's too many uncertainties yeah. out, out there. But what I can promise you is that I'll always be honest. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what we're doing. And you'll always have my, my best interest in terms of what we're going to do for you as an employer, as an employee, and how we're going to help uh, make sure everyone's job is as secure as it could be mm -hmm. uh, based on our plan to move forward. Yeah. And you're going to get honest answers. If I don't have an answer, I'll tell you I don't have it. So, it, it, you know, one of the challenges that our leaders have, you hear a lot about just the importance, and I know firsthand, the importance of having a really strong, compelling, and clear vision. Um, when a leader doesn't know what the next year is going to look like, I mean, how do you balance that? How do you balance the kind of the acknowledgement that, yeah, we're on a really undefined path or road or things are going to be a little crazy, but at the same point, giving people a clear idea of the future of the vision, I mean, what do you do with that? Yeah, I think a, a few things. One is, I think it was Dale Carnegie said, we have to live in day-tight compartments. All we have is this moment and, and today. We're going to do our best today with what our job duties are and responsibilities are. And let's just do the best we can do with what we know for certain right now. Mm -hmm. and And know that with the uncertainties in the future, what that new normal will look like, that we are working on a plan. This is what we have so far that we believe to the best of our ability will pull us out of this and make us really thrive, not only survive, but thrive in the coming months and years. Mm -hmm. And no one has all the answers right now. And, and that's just the reality. But what we do know is everyone in the company has duties and responsibilities and let's focus on doing the best we can right now with whatever plan we have in front of us that we know for certain this is our, our job. Let's do the best we can, stay positive, encourage and support others, and we'll continue to work on a plan that will uh, mm -hmm. move us through this uh, better than we came into it. So let me ask your your opinion on this. So what what are the things that, you know, obviously this whole mess has kind of forced everybody to change in one way or the other, whether they want to or not, and sure. it's pushed people outside their comfort zones. I've seen businesses that are thriving now because they did things they never would have done and yes. they were forced to and think differently. I've seen some that obviously are failing. 
Um, what are the what are the what are the permanent changes that you think will happen? Um, and just in terms of whether it's how we run business or how leaders, uh, you know, lead effectively, what do you think is going to stay? Yeah, I, I well, I think from a sales perspective, we're still going to meet belly to belly kitchen, you know, talk to people at their kitchen table, you know, depending on what industry you're in or in their office, that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen as much as, you know, there's going to be more zoom calls like we're having now. And so no one knows how much is it where before zoom calls for presentations, let's say we're 10%. Is it now going to be 30%? It's going to be 40% because there's efficiencies with this. You don't have to drive, but there's also not that human touch, shaking someone's hand, looking them, really in person in the eye. And, yeah. and, and, and so that's, that's going to change. Uh, the other things that I think are going to change is you have employees that are working remotely Yeah, and companies are saying that's, that's okay. We're, we're more efficient. They don't have to drive to work. They're saving in certain areas. They're downsizing their facilities. So that's going to be a, a permanent change, I believe as yeah. well. How much is yeah. still undetermined, but it's, it's going to be a personal change. The challenge companies, listen, we are humans and we need the connectedness. A lot of people, John, you, you, I know you feel it and I feel it. You want to get together with people. You don't, I can't, you know, you want to be face to face and, yeah. you know, there, people are yearning for that. Yeah. So I think that that, that's going to have to play in it somehow. Like how do we get back to that? Yeah. And, uh, so that's going to be as time goes on what we're doing. You know, one of the things that I found, I think, I think what, what a very good positive is the Zoom call has replaced the phone call. So there's much more. I see people's faces more. I'm not actually even talking on the phone much. I don't even like it. I, I do all my meetings on Zoom. So yes. I think it's a benefit. But one of the things I know people have struggled with um, is, and and it's a lot of people that are especially are in sales situations where it's so important to build a relationship of trust to connect, you know, to get to know somebody. And, and it's, it's really hard, you know, it's harder. Let me say that over like zoom. And I'll give you an example. You know, you're talking about eye contact, you know, eye contact, like you and I are talking right now, we're not, we're looking at each other, but we're not looking at our eyes. You're looking at mine. I'm looking at yours, but we're off screen a little bit and there's no way to avoid that. Right. Um, how, are there any tips for people like in sales that are really try? I remember even, and not to go, I'll end my question in a second, but another situation was always if I'm talking to a couple, it's like, okay, I want to make sure there's weird nuances. You know, if I'm in an office at a table, I can talk to both and bounce back and forth. You know, on Zoom, it's all different. I mean, what advice do you give to that person? I have a few things. One is nothing will ever take the place of doing it. So you have to practice and do it over and over again and say, and then say to yourself with great intentionality, how can I do this better? What are some of the tips and tricks to communicate more effectively when you're having a, I do magic. I still do. I've done virtual keynotes. Well, how do I do magic? And I've learned some to adapt some magic tricks that I do virtually. I have them pick an imaginary card and, that card shows up in a deck that I show everyone. So there's things that you do that you adapt and you say, you know, just like a blind person would adapt how they communicate and other senses, their greater acuity with listening and speaking. So we have to learn and really develop 
other senses to be better and then also observe with great intentionality, watch a video, play back a video and say, I do that all the time as a professional speaker. I say, man, I looked at this side of the audience too long or I didn't pause properly. And the only way you can really learn that and get better is by doing it over and over again, watching the video, cringing, because you will cringe, say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that, or I look that way, I look like a moron. But uh, that's the way you grow. And uh, that's like when people, John, when people don't like the way they sound, you know, if you ever listen to yourself, the way your voice sounds in a recorder, they turn the recorder off. That's like an ostrich burying its head in the ground thinking, everything will change and be gone. No, you still sound like crap, even though you turn the recorder off. Yeah. So the only way you improve is by facing what you need to improve, the things that you're not doing well and saying, okay, make these minor changes and getting a little better at doing it each time. Well, I I think everybody, anybody in business uh, should be recording themselves, even with a friend on Zoom so they can pick up on those things. Because, you know, and I'm sure you've dealt with this before. I remember leading people and, you know, some of my people would have weak handshakes. And I'm like, listen, you cannot have a weak handshake. That does not work. And, And they didn't even know it. They had no idea. Maybe for years, nobody told them they had a weak handshake. So they were unconsciously incompetent with that. I see people on Zooms that um, that really have no, I just did a, a call uh, actually before this and, and the person was backlit. So I couldn't see their face at all. And all I saw was a silhouette of them. And, and I had another one where, you know, the, they're, they're, it's showing the side of their face. I mean, it's stuff like that, that, that breaks down the trust before it even has a chance to build up. They don't even realize that, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because you couldn't see their face on the previous call. And on this podcast, you wish you couldn't see my face. So <laughs> that's kind of the opposite of you here. But, but the, tr- the truth of the matter is that in life, in business, in everything you do, it's all the little things you do that make the big difference. Totally. It's the preparation. You know, uh, I know that you're probably a fan of the Patriots. Yeah. And I say this, even though I'm down in Florida and from New Jersey, you know, arguably one of the greatest NFL teams of all time, uh, you can't argue with that. Certainly of the modern era with the successes Bill Belichick has had. He has one quote of the tens of thousands. Do you know the quote he has in the locker room, John? Do your job. Well, no, I, actually it's, it's from the art of war sends out and it says every battle is won before it's fought. Mm, yep. And that's it. So you don't just pull off a great zoom call. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you check your mic, you check, you know, before I was on this call, I got on, you can get on Zoom and just hit meeting and you can look at yourself mm-hmm. and you can record yourself. Right. And I've done that. Right. And so that's what I did before this call. I said, how's my lighting? How's my position? If I turn this a little bit, you'll see my blinds. I don't right. want you to see my blinds. Right. So I positioned everything perfectly. Yeah. So you can see my quote in the background. Yeah. Okay. So the microphone was at the right level. I have notes as to all my checkoff things that I need to check. Yeah. And it's all these little things, but you know what? It's not just what we do with a Zoom call. Yeah. It translates successful habits. First, we make our habits and our habits make us. It's all the things you do, the traits that you have, the habits you've developed that lend itself to leadership. So let's spin this into leadership. So right now, as a leader, I'm going to suggest that the leaders listening to this look in the mirror because that's where you're going to get the, the 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 greatest mirror, the greatest leader or worst leader you're ever going to look at is the one in the mirror because you kind of like Michael Jackson's song, because you get to make all the decisions 
as to what you need to do to get better, these little tweaks. Mm -hmm. And it starts with, okay, what's the perfect model of a leader? Have you done that research? Do you care enough to be the best leader? Mm -hmm. What, who are the leaders you admire? Richard Branson. You know, he had a great quote that I wanted to share with your audience that, uh, and I, I wrote it down, train your people so they could leave, train your people well so they can leave your company. Treat them well so they never do. Mm, love it. So, so what do all the great leaders do? What are the common, denomin common denominators that all great leaders do? You know, success, as we all hear, leaves clues. Mm -hmm. So pick the top three leaders that you really respect and admire. And then say, what do they all agree upon? Do I exemplify those traits, mm -hmm. those characteristics? Mm -hmm. Do I treat my people that way? Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you take one little step at a time and improve. But it all starts with being intentional to say, look in the mirror and say, I want to be a better leader. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen automatically. No. How do I become a better leader? I'm a big modeling person. Mm -hmm. Find out the three best leaders that you respect. I don't care whether it's Abe Lincoln, Winston Churchill. I don't care whether they're living, passed away, whatever it is. Uh, find out who they are, what they all do, what the common denominators are, and then say, where are my gaps? Like you do that gap analysis and then just say, okay, don't tackle it all at once. You're looking for progress, not perfection, mm -hmm. and tackle it a little bit at a time. And that becomes with the first step being who they are, where are the gaps? What do I need to do? And then work on one thing of, that you want to improve at a time. And that comes with, with triggers. It comes with being intentional. It comes with self-talk. You know, 50, we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts that go through our head every day, 65% of which are negative. Are you aware as a leader what you're thinking of? You know, we have a lot of stuff that goes on. Are we thinking about and intentional about how I could lead in this moment better right now with this manager, with this employee? Yeah. And what does that look like? And and that's what you that's your guide throughout the day. Man, there's so much in what you said there that I want to go into. You know, one of the things, and I agree a hundred percent. I think it's you know, modeling is so key. I learned so much about leadership by modeling the right behaviors. And I think the tendency sometimes for somebody, whether it's a leader trying to get better or an athlete trying to get better or whatever, is that you you do see so, there's so much of a difference. And wow, it, it's overwhelming. I, I can't even, you know, but if you start with the small stuff and if I'm trying to become a better leader, I'm like, okay, well, you know, how does Michael run his meetings? Let me just see, how does he communicate to people? How does he dress? How does he, what, what does he do and run his day? how does he do a zoom call? You know, I can actually pick up things. You know, I've learned things from you. When I saw you speak, I'm like, well, you do There's some things you do. I'm like, I'm, I, I got to do that. That's really great. You start with a little stuff. You get 1% better and better and better. Um, so I agree. I agree with you hundred percent on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know who wrote a great book about that, John and anyone, I, I, I don't follow a lot of people and this guy I do follow James clear yeah. wrote a book called atomic habits. I read and he tells a book. great story. I'm not going to share the story about the British racing team in the Tour de France. Yeah. How this coach was hired to bring them a, a champion championship yeah. or, or have them win the race. And they had never won it or it's been forever. And they said, could you do that in three to five years? And the things that they looked at were, what were your pillows that they that the riders sleep on at night, the team? Yeah. What was in the pillows? I mean, every little thing they looked at. But to your point, it's there's a saying called inch by inch anything's a cinch, yard by yard, anything's hard. 
that we should, the way we learn, the way we grow, don't let it be overwhelming. Pick one part of what you want to be a better leader, what that looks like, Mm -hmm. and just do one thing better. And if you do that over a period of 60, 70 days, you'll be twice as good a leader as you were when you started if you just start doing one little thing mm-hmm. better at a time. Yeah, that's yeah. I love that story. That's David Brailsford, the aggregation of marginal gains, that British coach. And and it was hey, like, you know, they they started wash, they got a surgeon to teach them how to wash their hands so they reduced the chance of infection of getting sick. They tested, you know, their uniform fabrics to see what was more aerodynamic. You know, they they put alcohol on the tires of the bikes to reduce the dust. I mean, it was all kinds of stuff. Um yeah. And it was amazing, right? Then, and it's yeah. all it's all incremental. You know, I'll, I'll give you a short story about I and I try this stuff. I love to try it myself. And uh, you know, I I do leg raise uh, bicycles with my legs. So I'm laying down on my back, lift my head up a little bit, and just bring my my legs back and forth for for abs, right? Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to do a hundred. And then I said, okay, I think I can push to 110. Well, I'm up to 500 now, nonstop. Wow. And and it's like, if you would have said to me in the beginning, kind of to your example, John, you look at this professional, this great leader, say he does so many things or she does so many things that are perfect. I could never do that. Well, if you do 1% better every day, to your point, you can. Yeah. It's the aggregation of marginal gain. Right. Absolutely works with anything, whether it's working out. If, I, if you don't floss your teeth, I challenge you to floss one tooth. You say, oh, that's so easy. Exactly. And success begets success. Failure begets failure. You do one tooth before you know it. I could do two. Yeah. I could do three. And before you know it, you're doing all your teeth. And that's how we learn and how we grow and how we develop one yeah. small step at a time. So yeah. I would encourage with the modeling, which we talked about earlier, find that perfect model, pick the things that are most important to you that you think you can get started with right away mm-hmm. and have triggers. I encourage you to do this like right now. I have water, which is a trigger for me by my desk. I have um, right here, I have a a weight. Mm -hmm. So two weights, actually. So what I do, I put things in my path that will trigger me to not do things as I normally do them, but do things that are better for who I want to be now as a a leader or someone in good shape, someone that's healthy, that's vibrant, and where I want to go in the future. So remember, first we make our habits and our habits make us. Anyone who's a leader, it doesn't matter whether you're looking to be a better leader, better employee, whatever it is, you're going to have to change something. Yeah. And you've been doing it a certain way for a long period of time. And that's up here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say, Simon Sinek says, the bigger the why, the bigger the try. Your why has to be big enough. What's your reason for wanting to change? You're the leader. You're probably not going to get fired. Mm -hmm. So what's your other why? You're going to have a bigger organization. You're going to have more peace, joy, and fulfillment at work. You're going to give other people more peace, joy, and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So your why has to be there that will cause you to make the changes. It's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. No one likes to change. Right. And and those triggers really help. What's going to remind you throughout the day when you're busy and you're in the heat of fire, which we are as leaders, to make that change, to make that tweak, to get better as a leader. Yeah. That that principle can be applied to everything in life. I mean, you know, somebody who wants to read, you know, that hasn't read, you know, a lot of books and they want to read a book a week. It's like, okay, just start with one page a day. Can you read one? Because you know, they never they never do. There's so many people that are like, yeah, my goal was to read 25 books this year. And how many did you read? I didn't read any. Well, it's because right. you, you, you were looking at that too big. That's too daunting. Just start with a small thing. 
you know, the other thing that's interesting when you think about society, there's so much of society that's working against what we're oftentimes trying to do. You know, I'm trying to get healthy and, you know, I've got fast food restaurants all over the place, strategically placed <clears throat> where they know that I am likely to go into travel. Uh, I've got, um, you know, when I go into the supermarket, I've got, at, when I'm cashing out, I've got these great looking, you know, candy bars and whatever that are tempting me. So you've got all these things. So to your point, you've got to really counteract that. You've got to put the things, the triggers that are going to lead to the right behaviors and set your, you know, I, I know a lot of people and I do the same thing where I've got my house set up a certain way where I work in certain areas of the house when I want to be creative, when I want to, you know, be productive, when I want to perform or, or do something like this, it's, it's different areas that will trigger different emotional states. So yeah, that's, that's really, in fact, I had this conversation yesterday, John, great point. There's two powerful, powerful forces in the world. One is the external forces. There's so much noise out there. There's so many distractions. There's a million distractions on social media, cell phones, all the advertisements. Like you said, you're in the, and most of it, most of it is negative. Yep. They have you valuing things you shouldn't and not valuing things you should. Mm -hmm. And you'll go down this rabbit hole of just negativity and things that are unhealthy, mentally, physically, spiritually, like it's just terrible. Yeah. And so you have to put things in your path. You've heard, and this audience I'm sure has heard that we are the sum total of our five closest friends. And I would add to that, that it's not just your five closest friends. You need to have things around you all the time that anchor you in who you are and who you want to become, what you're aspiring to be. Mm -hmm. Now I suggest to everyone listening to this, that we have a core, everyone listening should have a core set of values. And that values is your values are the cornerstone of who you are. That's what you're measuring yourself against every day in your thoughts, your decisions, and your actions. Now you have values as an individual, you have values as a leader. I have five values that, that I govern my life by to honor and serve the Lord with everything I think, say, and do to be the best husband to my amazing wife, Emmy to be the best dad to my amazing son, Kyle, my two stepsons, Dex and Julian, to serve others with the gifts, talents, and abilities I've bless, been blessed with and, and improve upon, to make an impact in their world, and to be in the best mental, physical, and spiritual shape to serve my other four values. So when I look at my day, I say, how did I do? I assess myself with everything I in the moment and throughout the day when I lay my head on the pillow, did I think about, number one, those values, living them, and did I actually live them? I think about them 90% of the time mm -hmm. because I've been doing it so long. Yeah. Did I do them? Not so much because you'll miss one here. I didn't work out. I didn't eat healthy. I didn't spend as much time with my wife or it wasn't the best time. I didn't call my son. So you look at all this, but they say, you know, with, with values, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. What do you stand for as a leader? Yeah. What do you stand for? And do you represent that in your words and your deeds? Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to measure every day, every situation. And you assess it. And afterwards, listen, I'm always asking for forgiveness because I fall and fail. But I have a conscious and, 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 and immediate response to I could have done better there. Yeah. And that's all we want to do is the best we can do at the end of the day. Well, it's interesting. I think a, a major key to happiness is living within your values and and making decisions that are lined up with your values. And I think you should be able to almost spend a week. Like if I spend a week with you and, you know, 
every waking moment saw what you were doing and watched you, I should see those values. I should see the time with your wife. I should see the time with your kids. I should see you giving back. I should see your spiritual and mental and physical health. Absolutely. That, you know, and if if not, so sometimes that's a good way to self-reflect is to say, okay, are there the things, you know, I see people that say health is really, really important, yet there's nothing that I could see in their week that really would tell me that, you know, so they're really now living out of alignment with their value. And there's going to be that internal rub at some point, they're not going to be happy. And so. then you, you nailed it. And that, that congruency that you live and, and understanding you want to be hard on yourself, but you don't want to crush yourself. You understand that you're going to fail and you're going to fall. Mm-hmm. It's no one has a perfect journey. Yeah. Okay. On this earth. Yeah. So, so the key is aware, first of all, What's the goal? Who do I want to be? Who am I? Who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is there's two assessments that you do throughout the day in every right. situation. One is um, uh, being aware that I represent who I said I was in yeah. all situations yeah. by my words and my deeds. Did I say it the way I needed to say it or didn't I say something and I should have, or yeah. did I do something the way? So yeah. that number one. So you assess, was I thinking about it is the first assessment. The second thing is, did I execute on it? Did I yeah. do it? Yeah. Because you can't do it if you don't think about it. Yeah. Uh, you right. can do it, but you're not going to know if you did it right or right. wrong. So the, the key there, and and if you want, you know, everyone listening to this, what we all want is more peace, joy, and fulfillment. I mean, that's what we want in our lives. That's the, the ultimate goal that we want that. What will give you that is making that impact. It's about relationships, making that impact with your, your relationships with yourself, your employees, your loved ones. And uh, how you do that is by having a core set of values yeah. And then making sure you're aware of them. Yeah. There's so much, and, so and, much and, to that. You know, I, and I remember, I think anybody can look back on their bad decisions. And, and that's probably the reason. I think of one where I remember taking a, a, a it was a, a great job. And it was, it, in reality, it seemed great, but I did it for the wrong reasons. I did it for the money. And it conflicted with one of my core values, which was, being able to spend time and, and with family and, and my kids in particular. And um, I remember that was a really unhappy time because I, it, it, it drew me away. I was traveling so much and I, I, it ultimately took me a while to really figure that out. Wow. And it conflicted with a lot of other values that I had too. And you, you ultimately, that doesn't last for very long. You can't stay in a happy state uh, when you're not living in alignment with your values. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I want to share a, a story with you that I think will be very relevant to your audience and to you and to any human being that, you know, when I was married and I started my company at 21 years old, uh, I got married at 24. And by the time I was 29 years old, I had anything. I was a millionaire. I built a dream home, had the exotic cars, traveled around the world, Italy, France, Monte Carlo, uh, Japan. And just, you know, people would look, but we didn't have one thing that my wife and I wanted and that we couldn't have. And it was, we couldn't have a baby. We had a fertility problem. And anyone listening to this either has or knows someone who has an infertility problem. And we went seven years, 13 operations, traveled to the best doctors in the country from the president of vitro and vitro fertilization at Yale New Haven Hospital, Dr. DeCherney, to a private clinic in Winter Haven, Florida, to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, literally the best doctors in the world that were in this country, those were our doctors. And after seven years, 13 operations, uh, Dr. Randy Corfman, who headed up the Mayo Clinic, who became a friend, he would pick us up at the airport because he knew us for doing it so long. He said, Mike, he pulled me aside. He said, 
I know this is going to be tough for you to hear this, but if this next procedure doesn't work, it was called ZIFT, zygote in a fallopian transfer. He said, if this doesn't work, I'm going to recommend that maybe you should talk to your wife about adopting. And I said, oh, that'll crush her after she's been on the seven-year journey, 13 operations. I don't know if I could tell her that. And then I get a call two weeks later after we went through the procedure. He says, Mike, and I still get choked up when I tell this story. He says, I have great news. Your wife's pregnant. And we had our miracle son, Kyle, was born December 13th, 1991. And uh, the story doesn't have the happiest endings because he was five years old and I come home at 10 o'clock at night. I was working 12 hours a day, six days a week, growing my company, just a madman when he came to work. And uh, came home one day, my wife calls me in the kitchen. She says, I need to talk to you. And I come in, she says, now, we had it all just at this point. We had the son. We had the millions. She said, I want a divorce. And I think, how could you want a divorce? We now have our prodigy child, seven years, 13 operations. You have anything you want, travel anywhere you want. You can buy anything you want. How could you want a divorce? And I couldn't come up with an answer in my own head. I give you everything. And like I said, I was working all these hours, and I couldn't find an answer. And I'm driving down the highway, John. And I see the biggest billboard I'd ever seen in my life. And there was a huge man's face on this billboard, like a hundred year old man, wrinkled as a prune, like a sharp hay dog with a smile from ear to ear and not one tooth in his mouth. And I'm thinking, how could this give meaning to what happened to me? And what anyone listening to this is going to give meaning to you in your life. If you don't heed the words, this small caption it had under this hundred year old man, his face wrinkled as a prune, not one tooth in his mouth. And it said this. Don't worry if you ignore your teeth, they'll go away. And that was the lesson. You see, whatever you ignore will perish. And whatever you pay attention to will flourish. The only thing that grows on its own are weeds. So we know that commensurate with the time and energy and the right blueprint that we put our time and effort in with the right blueprint, we get better at. So if you take time away and you don't spend time with your children, with your wife, they'll leave. It does, relationships do not grow on their own mm -hmm. and the values will determine where you put your time and energy because that's where things are going to grow in your life. Mm. And I learned a tough lesson. I'm married to an amazing woman now and have an amazing relationship with my ex-wife and her husband. Okay. But the lesson that I learned crystal clear is what's in your calendar right now. Where are you putting all your time and energy and where is that time and energy on the things that are most important, your loved ones? And mm -hmm. if you're not spending, and it's time and energy, it's not, I gave him a great 15 minutes. You know, Michael Phelps, I tell the story about Michael Phelps, the greatest Olympian of all time, 23 gold medals. You know, he didn't come out of the womb doing the backstroke and the greatest swimmer of all time. He had a coach, Bob Bauman, he worked out six hours a day, six days a week. Because he knew commensurate with the time and effort he put into this with the right coaching, the right blueprint, mm -hmm. he would get better. Mm -hmm. So now he had some mental challenges as a result of this, which most people are know about, know about. But the point is that if he put two hours in a day, he would have only gotten two hours better. Mm -hmm. So there's a direct relationship and correlation between how much time you put into something and the quality of what you get out of that based on that time mm -hmm. with the right blueprint. Again, yeah. you can't spend two hours with your partner and not learn how to communicate effectively and deeply and speak to what is most important to yeah. them. So I challenge every leader 
to lead yourself in a way that will be with all areas of your life. Because at the end of your life, you're going to look back and say, yeah, I had a big company, but I had no relationships. Mm-hmm. And I'll finish with this. They did a the longest term study ever at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Robert Waldowski. And it was on happiness, 80 year study. And they asked men at the time, it was only men, they learned that you should include women later on. But back then it was only men. And they they asked them they, in their 20s, what, what do you think will give you the greatest happiness and joy in your life? And the, the, the men said, at 20 years old, they said, money and fame. And now the men are in their 80s and they're asking them the same question. Retrospectively, what do you think, what did give you the most happiness and joy in your life? And one question, one answer, one answer, and that was relationships. Nothing, John, and you and I know that when we sit back and we step back from everything, it's relationships with friends, with loved ones, with clients. That's what being human is all about. With your employees, it's those relationships that drive everything, that give juice and meaning to life. And those relationships take time to build. So as a leader, what relationships are you building? That's what I challenge you on. And how are you building them? Hmm. Powerful stuff, man. That's incredible. Um, speaking of spending time, and and to your point, people shouldn't be surprised when they have certain things that are succeeding or not in their life because of where they spend their time, right? We shouldn't be surprised that we're not in great health if we're not spending time paying attention to it uh, or that we don't have the relationships or we do have the relationships that we want. Uh, speaking of spending time, where are you spending your time now? What are you working on now? I know you're doing a lot of impactful stuff. Yeah, well, th- thank you for asking. I have a, a mastermind groups for sales leaders, sales representative agents and advisors. Mm-hmm. It's a mastermind group from that most people know about from Thinking Grow Rich, where you have the collective energy of everyone in the group really doing and helping everyone deal with getting through challenges and opportunities faster and bigger and better. And then I have a second mastermind group for entrepreneurs and business owners. And, and that's, I spend my time on that. And I have a, a, a new uh, launch that's going to happen in the next uh, probably three weeks. I am the job hacker. So I have one-on-one coaching and consulting I do for folks looking for work. And now I'm going to have an online place where people can go to get the best advice on resume, how to build a great resume that will break through the algorithms and get you calls for interviews and the best strategies. And it's going to be a free download and a, a deeper level. They can get involved with memberships if they want to. Wow, that's pretty cool. And that's valuable because now this job market as it is, is that many more applicants for every job. So you've got to be extra uh, unique for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be, I'll, I'll be able to make a difference and an impact in the world, which is important to me. 30 million unemployed. And uh, I'll be able to give away services at no cost if they want that will help them, that will move the needle. And uh, if they want to go a little deeper level, my first subscription level is $7 a month. I wanted to make it where everyone can afford it and get the coaching. I'll be coaching live on these calls, on Zoom calls. So it's something that's really, right now, my customers pay me thousands of dollars uh, one-on-one, but they'll be able to get that for $7 a month because of the economy of scale of yeah. many people on the call. Wow, that's great. How do yeah. people uh, find out more about that or get a hold of you? Well, people can go to my website right now, which is, michaelaltshuler.com that's m-i-c-h-a-e-l a-l-t-s-h-u-l-e-r.com my email is michael at michaelaltshuler.com and also the sales hacker 
is not up yet, but it will be uh, once we launch and uh, they can go there if they, everyone is either dealing with their, their unemployed or knows someone who is, and we're going to offer valuable insider secrets. That's why it's called the job hacker on how to get interviews, nail the interview, get job offers and help uh, people uh, get back to work. Okay. Uh, before we wrap, and I know we're short on time here, uh, yeah. you, a couple things I want to hit on. One is for those people who can't see your uh, your background there, you and I were talking as we got on. And I think one of the great things about doing Zooms is everybody's become more transparent, right? You're seen into everybody's home or their studio or their office, whatnot. And you should pay attention to what you have in your background and whatnot, because it's a great conversation speech. So for the people that aren't watching and just listening, uh, talk about the quote that's behind you. I think it's great. Well, first of all, as a professional speaker, I am a quote nut. So I have like in memory, maybe 150, 200 quotes that I have in my head. And then I started my own quote book. I created 95 personal quotes that I'm, I'm now publishing. And one of them, and I never knew it was until someone, a big uh, pharmaceutical company, their PR company called me to use it. And I never searched it online before and it became famous. And it was the bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. And I think we all, can look at that, that the only, the greatest resource we all have is time. And it's the only one that can't be replaced and that we should look at it and use it wisely with our loved ones, with our employees, with our customers, what's the highest and best use of our time. And I think that's illustrated in that quote, the bad news is time flies and we know it does, but the good news is you're the pilot. So are you taking control and piloting your time properly? Love that. And that's now uh, become viral. It's all over the place, right? All over the internet. If you look it up on the internet, there's like a hundred different graphics that people create. In fact, the graphic you see behind me is one I just took off the internet that someone created. And I said, I like that. And I framed it and put it in my office. That's great. Very cool, man. Wow. Yeah, unbelievable uh, chance to chat with you and so much more I'd love to go into. Anything you want to leave the audience with? You got obviously a lot of people from all different walks of life listening to this. Yeah, you know what? I'm, can I leave with a, uh, a poem? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, and this is how I finish all my speeches, by the way. Someone sent it to me. It was in my audience around 10 years ago. Her name was Lynn Gidrow. Her grandmother had just passed away. Left her this poem. And she sent it to me because my speech made an impact in her world. And she said, I want you to have this. And it was so moving to me. I, I said, I'm going to close every talk with it. And it's called The Dash by Linda Ellis. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He first saw her date of birth and spoke the second date with tears, said what mattered that most of all was that dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we have, the car, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that could still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel. If we could be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we could treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this little dash might only last a little while. 
So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, will you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? It's my sincere hope, wish, and prayer that each of you listening to this or watching this spends your dash in a way that will make a real difference in the lives of your coworkers, your customers, your friends, and most importantly, your family members. Awesome. Wow. Love it, man. I greatly appreciate you sharing that. Powerful stuff. Yeah. All right, my friend. We'll have you back another time for for, uh, part two down the road. I'd love that if we can. You got it, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Love what you're doing. It's first class, as I would expect, coming from you, John. And uh, I wish you continued success. You're a bright light and sometimes a dim universe. Keep it up, brother. Thanks, buddy. We're here with Michael Altshuler, uh, peak performance coach, sales expert, keynote speaker, a fantastic one, by the way. I I, uh, got the opportunity to hear him. Uh, Gladiator, father, entrepreneur, husband, uh, man extraordinaire. So thanks for joining us, Michael. Uh, Thank you all for listening in. Uh, Keep liking, sharing, comments, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. I greatly appreciate your feedback. Thanks for joining today. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P dot com. Thanks. Lead on.